Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. Some passages in the Bible can be a little tricky to understand when simply read on the surface or outside of the context of the whole of Scripture. Our text today in Revelation chapter 3 is one such place, so let's listen as Pastor Phil brings some clarity to the way that Jesus refers to himself in his letter to the Laodiceans. The only way to heal the problems of sin is to repent. And the only way to ultimately heal the greatest problem that sin brings, which is damnation, which is separation from God for eternity, means you have to come to Jesus who alone can cure you. But you can't come uh, all full of self-righteousness and pride and self-reliance like a lot of uh, churches are pumping into people relentlessly with the self-esteem teaching and all of that. They need to come to Jesus broken of self-worth, destitute of self-effort and self-confidence. You have to repent before you can receive Christ as Lord and Savior, which alone can save you, cure you, if you will, from the disease of sin. So here was a church that was missing the point, all right, as we're going to see as we continue. But he, Jesus continues, he addresses himself the, by the amen, and then he says he is the faithful and true witness. Now, not only is Jesus the uh, amen because of who he is, he's God. Isaiah 65, verse uh, 16. The God is the God of the Amen. Jesus Christ is God. He is not only the Amen because of who He is, but He is also faithful and true because of everything He said and did. You remember how that, before He went to the cross, He prayed to His Father and said, Father, I have manifested Your name upon the earth. How did He do that? By totally and perfectly representing His Father in every area. He spoke truth. He lived truth. He never did anything that deviated from who his father was. To say, I have manifested your name upon the earth means I have displayed your character to the people of this world. Philip said, Lord, show us the father will be satisfied. He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and my father are one. The idea is that Jesus Christ was the perfect representation of his heavenly father. You want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. You want to know if God is merciful and forgiving? Well, look at Jesus' ministry. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. The Pharisees wanted to stone her on the spot. Jesus said, look, what you did was wrong. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He is very merciful, very compassionate, although he doesn't tolerate sin, right? But he's very quick to forgive. And so that's our Savior. And he is perfect. He is completely trustworthy, perfectly accurate. His testimony is always reliable. As he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the faithful witness. The Greek word is uh, martis, which we get our word martyr from. A witness was somebody that testified of something that they had seen. Well, Jesus Christ was a witness of his father. He came from the father to tell us what the father was like. Now, we as his followers are witnesses of him. Now, in those early days, and today many parts of the world, a person who stood up and testified on behalf of Christ, 
Well, they were often killed for their faith. So the word martis, it came to mean those who are a witness for Jesus, you know, many times would die for their faith. And so Jesus is the faith. He died proclaiming his father and the truth of God, which he uh, came to this world to give to us. But this is in contrast, really, to the Laodiceans, who were neither faithful nor true. In fact, the Laodicean motto seems to have been, we just want to be positive and happy. How many churches today fit that bill? We don't want to talk about anything controversial. Sin, judgment, prophecy, uh, these things are too controversial. We just want to keep things positive. We want people to be happy and so on. And you'll find churches that preach that kind of a message, they're packed. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to come and have their felt needs addressed every week. Everyone wants to have warm fuzzies lavished upon them so that when they walk out of a church, they feel all good about themselves. Well, I should say a lot of people do, but there are those who are truly believers. They really want to know what God has to say to them. And I'm thankful for you guys because you are those kind of people. The Laodiceans were not. The Laodiceans were the kind of people that wanted to keep things positive and upbeat. That kind of thing was their message. Now, Jesus goes on. He says that he is the beginning of the creation of God. There is a heresy that goes all the way back to a man named Arius, which has come to be known as the Arian heresy. Uh, It is the heresy that the Jehovah's Witnesses have embraced, and others like them down through the centuries. And I'll just give you just part of it. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe, and they they will quote this uh, verse here, uh, Revelation 3.14 and some other places, but they believe that what this is saying is that Jesus Christ was the first creation of Jehovah God, and then Jesus created everything else. So they have got Jehovah God, who was the Almighty God, and then Jesus, a created being, who was a lesser but a mighty God. So this is their theology. Right here they believe it is saying that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God in the sense that he was the first one to be created by Jehovah and then through him everything else was created. But that is not what the Greek is saying here. The Greek word is arche. The word for beginning is arche. It can mean, first of all, a ruler. This is like a king. Or it could mean the origin, source, or active cause of something. And of course, Jesus fits both. He is ruler over all creation, and of course, he is the source or the creative force behind the creation, which is consistent with what John said in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 3, what uh, Paul said in Colossians 1, 16. Let me read them to you. John 1, verse 3. All things were made through him. He's talking about Christ. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, Job's witnesses don't like that because, you see, if everything was made by Jesus, everything, then he himself could not have been made. I mean, right? If Jesus made everything that was made, then he himself could not have been made by Jehovah God. He would have to be creator of all. Now, that's what we believe as evangelicals. They, of course, do not believe that, but the Bible is clear. And then Paul in Colossians 1, verse 16, Paul said, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, all things, that are in heaven 
that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, he's the source, and for him, he's the ruler. So right there, Arche, uh, both come into play with regard to Jesus. He is the source of all creation, he created everything, and he is the Lord of all creation, he rules over his creation. But I want you to notice this for a second. I think it's significant that Jesus, to this last day's church, says that he is the source or the active cause of what? Creation. I think this is directed at the reigning ideology and belief system of our day, evolution. It wasn't a big bang of random molecules and atoms that somehow exploded and brought into existence everything out of nothing, Jesus said, I am the source of all creation. I created all things according to the word of my power. And the Bible says he holds all things together by that same word. I mean, the Bible indicates that in the last days, the great last days heresy is going to be the theory or the belief in evolution or naturalism. That everything came into being all by itself without any kind of divine fiat or divine intervention. Everything came from nothing all by itself. Of course, you take God out of the creation equation and now you are left that every man becomes their own God. They do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. They don't have to bow the knee to any creator. They can basically play God, the very thing man has wanted to do from the beginning. Even as the devil said to Adam and Eve, you know, that if you eat the fruit that God has forbidden, you will become like God. That appealed to them. It it still appeals to many people who do not want some God lording over them, telling them what they can do, what they can't do. They want to be God of their own life. This is a big problem today, isn't it? And the Bible says that it would be the reigning heresy in the last days. In fact, uh, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, I'll read verses 3 and 4. You can read the whole context uh, at your leisure. But Peter said, knowing this first, that scoffers will come when? In the last days. Walking according to their own lust. There you go. People want to be God. They want to do whatever they want to do. It often revolves around their own lusts. Walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You see, what we have here is the doctrine of uniformitarianism, which is what evolution is based on. That all things came into existence by a series of accidents. You have to have time. The evolutionist God is time, okay? You you have to have a lot of time for these random mutations and accidents to take place genetically, which eventually lead to complex, simple forms of life and more complex forms of life as evolution takes place. You have to understand, though, there is biological evolution, which we see today uh, reigning in our universities and all. Of course, Hitler was a big fan of Darwin, and took a biological evolution and applied it socially because he figured, look, if in the animal kingdom the strong kill the weak so that the strong can thrive, 
Why can't we do that on a human level? We will kill all those who are inferior so that we can have a super Aryan race of people. But don't forget that lie started in the Garden of Eden when Satan told Adam and Eve, you shall become like God. Don't forget the theory of evolution has been around, spiritually speaking, for 6,000 years. The idea that we, through a series of reincarnations, will eventually evolve into godhood, that is going to be the main heresy the Antichrist is going to bring to this world. The Bible talks about this. In the last days, people would believe the lie. Definite article, very specific lie that can be traced all the way back to the lie that the devil told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So we are seeing in the last, this is the heresy. Evolution is the big heresy. We get spiritually, biologically. Either way you look at it, though, it does it away with God makes man God. And it's what we see going on all around us. And it's, it's crept into the church big time. A few months ago, I got this uh, news story. i just read a small part of it out of one of the papers. Vatican astronomer Guy uh, Consumano says, Believing God created the universe in six days is a form of pagan superstition. This is a Vatican astronomer who says believing that God created the universe in six days is a form of pagan superstition. Why? Because if you're an evolutionist, you can't have six days of creation. If you're trying to mix evolution and creation together, the best you can do is theistic evolution. God created the amoeba and then let it evolve over billions of years. Well, you can't have six days of creation then. You've got to have six one-billion-year periods or six ten-billion-year periods or however the old the universe is. You know, when I was a kid, it was five billion years old. Now it's 18 billion years old, and I'm not that old. But they keep changing things. I don't know. At least I don't feel that old. <laughs> he went on to say, Consumano told the Scotsman in a newspaper, the idea that religion and science are competing principles is a destructive myth. See, they want to blend science and the Bible. But guess which one suffers when you blend science and the Bible? The Bible. You start throwing the Word of God out the window if it doesn't agree with science. Science is a belief system. Now, let me back up. Anything that can be observed or reproduced is scientific. But let's be honest, nobody has ever, ever seen evolution taking place. Therefore, it's a belief system. It's a matter of conjecture. It's a matter of belief. It takes faith to believe in evolution. I mean, I was watching a DVD. uh, Maybe you've heard of uh, Richard Dawkins, Cambridge professor called the Bulldog of Darwin. This guy's vicious. He attacks creationists, Christians. Oh, he goes after us big time, ripping us apart, uh, just belittling. How stupid could you be to believe in creation, blah, blah, blah. Somebody gave me a video where he was being interviewed. And they asked him, well, Professor Dawkins, can you give us one example of vertical evolution? Now, horizontal evolution is everywhere. That's changes within a kind. God has allowed for kinds to adapt to their environment. That's not true evolution. That just changes within a kind. Adaptations. Vertical evolution, you know, where the amoeba becomes uh, the lizard, becomes the bird, becomes, you know, whatever. Your Uncle Harry or whatever it might be. (laughs) Nobody has ever seen that take place. And I love this. I could not believe it. As this 
reporter asked Dawkins, can you give us one example of vertical evolution? I was actually dumbfounded that he didn't have one, and he sat there for about 30, you know, 30 seconds, seems like an eternity. This guy was fidgeting, was looking from side to side, looking up. I mean, he couldn't come up with one example. This is the bulldog of Darwin. This is the, one of the great champions that defends the theory of evolution, who claims it's not a theory, it's fact. It's science, and what you Christians believe, that's nothing but superstition. And yet he couldn't come up with one example of vertical evolution. Amazing. And yet, another story that I, it's almost maybe eight or nine months old, uh, out of New York, the article was, uh, reads, nearly 450 Christian churches around the country plan to celebrate the 197th birthday of Charles Darwin today with programs and sermons intended to emphasize that his theory of biological evolution is compatible with faith and that Christians have no need to choose between religion and science. Evolution Sunday has drawn participation from a variety of denominational and non-denominational churches, including Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Unitarian, Congregationalist, United Church of Christ, Baptist, and a host of community churches. So a lot of churches have embraced the theory theory of evolution and tried to harmonize it with the Bible. Well, Pope John Paul II, before he died had written a book where he was saying that he believed in evolution and tried to mix it with uh, Christian faith. Can't happen. Can't happen. The churches do this because they have been brainwashed into thinking evolution is true. They don't really believe the Bible is the word of God, and so really they're embarrassed that it comes across so, you know, so infantile, you know, we, we, we're so enlightened today. How could anybody still believe in Genesis? Hey, I do. I, I don't know how anybody can believe that everything came from nothing all by itself. To me, it makes much more sense to believe that everything came from God, the divine creator, and the one wise enough to create everything. I mean, David said, we are fearfully and wo- wonderfully made. I mean, scientists don't even understand some of the most basic principles of how the body works genetically and so on and yet it all came about by accidents mutations come on there's a blindness that has been put upon people because they don't want to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved therefore god is allowing them to be deceived because they don't love truth they want you know to cling to a belief system that allows them to be god and not have to bow the knee to the true god well, at this point in the letter, there should be a commendation. That's the pattern, right? If the introduction is a commendation. But uh, this is one of two churches, Sardis being the other one, where there is no commendation by the Lord. So there's just a big blank spot there. And what Jesus does is moves right into the accusation, which is plenty. Okay. Uh, takes up the space that would fill the commendation and the accusation in other churches. So he jumps right into the accusation. In verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish or I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus shows here through various statements that are really kind of plays on words that he knows exactly what is going on in their city. 
and what's going on in their church. And Jesus rebuked them for being neither cold nor hot, but actually lukewarm. Now that's that's kind of metaphorical language. And it really is taken from a situation that they would, were very familiar with, which was Laodicea's water supply. Laodicea's water supply. Remember I told you that Laodicea was part of a, a tri-city area that uh, included Colossae and Heropolis. The only bad part of living in Laodicea, uh, from a practical standpoint, was they didn't have any water supply, so they had to bring water in through an underground aqueduct system from both Heropolis and Colossae. Now, here's the thing. Heropolis was known for its hot mineral springs, and they were used for relaxation and for healing. Colossae was a city that enjoyed icy, cold spring water that fed a stream that ran through their city. And, of course, you all know how refreshing icy, cold spring water is uh, on a hot day, right? But because the waters from Heropolis and Colossae had to travel several miles through an underground aqueduct system before actually reaching the city of Laodicea, guess what? By the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And Jesus is picking up on that, something that they were very familiar with, practically speaking, and he is applying it now spiritually to the church there in Laodicea. In fact, he says something here that if you were a member of the church in Laodicea, especially because they seemed to think they were pretty good, if you heard Jesus say to you what he said to them, no doubt you would have been shocked beyond comprehension. I mean, it's pretty graphic. He says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Of course, the process of vomiting, curling, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) is the violent expulsion of something that is unpleasant or harmful. Look, I like hot coffee. I mean, I like to make coffee in the morning before I do my devotions. Uh, And afterwards, I, I, you know, take it to my desk and uh, get going with stuff, answering emails, working on stuff. Uh, I like hot coffee. I'm sure some of you do, too. I also like icy cold tea. In fact, I keep bottles of it in my refrigerator, iced tea. You know, it's good on a hot day. And there are many times when I'll pour myself a cup of coffee in the morning, or grab an iced tea in the afternoon, and I'll get busy. You know how it goes? You get busy doing stuff, working on things. And especially with the coffee, isn't it? Time has elapsed, you haven't realized, and you go, you take a sip of that coffee that's lukewarm, what do you do? You spit it right back into the cup. It's nauseating. Oh, man, i got to get some more coffee. This is terrible. You know? And Jesus is kind of drawing on that. I mean, the water, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was not that hot mineral water that was good for relaxation and healing that Heropolis enjoyed. It was not the icy, cold, refreshing water that Colossae enjoyed. By the time it got to Laodicea, having to travel six and ten miles through underground, dirty aqueducts, it came lukewarm. It had an aroma. It was dirty. This is the water that they had. And Jesus is picking up on that. And he is talking about First of all, those who are hot. The Greek is boiling hot. He says, I wish you were hot. And it speaks of a person, a Christian, a genuine Christian, who is on fire for God, right? 
He talks about those who are cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. The Greek is icy cold. And of course, this is the person who doesn't know God, doesn't pretend to know God, doesn't act religiously, doesn't go to church. The person who is a pagan knows they're a pagan and likes being a pagan, basically. Those two are easy, aren't they? Hot and cold. Those are easy to interpret what they represent, what kind of person. It's the lukewarm ones that present a problem and a bit of controversy. Who are they? Let me give you the two main views on who these lukewarm ones are. The first main view is that Luke, the uh, lukewarm Laodiceans represent backslidden Christians that have cooled in the relationship with the Lord and have become carnal and worldly. But they're still Christians. They're still saved. They're just backslidden. The second view is that the lukewarm Laodiceans represent religious unbelievers who, unlike the cold ones, don't openly reject the gospel. They attend church and claim to know the Lord, but are not genuinely saved. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.